Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could never edit that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I'm all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny V, and today I'm very excited to welcome children's author for the very first time on the Words and Nerds podcast, R.A. Spratt, author of series Pesky Kids, Friday Barnes, and Nanny Piggins. Today we're going to talk about many things, including her new book, Friday Barnes, Girl Detective, No Escape. Yes, it's so wonderful to be here and lovely to talk to you. <laughs> you too. I would be folding laundry right now, so <laughs> much, much better. I'm so glad that I beat folding laundry. I really am. It makes me very happy. It's funny. I have been following you for a long time and oh it occurred to me, why haven't I spoken to Ari Spratt? So when I saw you had a book coming out, I, I contacted the publisher and said, yes, I should have spoken to Ari Spratt a long time ago. Why is it taking me so long? So I'm so glad you're here. Yes, because I very rarely stop talking. So it's very easy to, to strike up a conversation with me. You could just like walk past me in the street and say, can I pat your dog? And then three hours later, you know, you, you, you might be allowed to keep walking. Great. So I'm really hoping to hear your life story tonight. So I'll look forward to that. You can do all the talking for me. I get sick of my own voice. <laughs> now, Friday Barnes, No Escape. Can you give us an elevator pitch as to what this one's about? Okay, so Friday Barnes, what you've got to understand is I wrote eight books in the Friday Barnes series mm. and um, they went really well. I was really surprised. They were a big hit and it grew and grew and grew and the fans loved them. But it was mentally exhausting because I wrote two a year and there's like a limit to the amount of crime that you can do in children's literature in one location. So by the end of eight books, I was just like, I can't keep this up. I'm going to wrap it up at eight. And my publishers are like, oh, okay. So I did. But And then I went and did the Pesky Kids and I did 
five over two and a half years. But the whole, during that two and a half years, I was constantly getting letters like every week, every day from fans who were angry with how I finished the eighth <laughs> book. I thought I did, I did a really good job, but they all wanted Friday and Ian to get married, like like some Disney movie or something. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and anyway, so they're nagging me. and I'm like, I'm never doing another one. Never, never, never. And then my publisher one day says to me, you know what you could do? You could write another Friday Barnes book. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, because I really like my publisher and I thought, oh, well, if you ask me nicely, I can't resist that. So I was like, okay, fine. And so I thought, well, how am I going to do it? Because they want all this romance and they're too young. They were like 13 and 14. Mm. So I thought, right, I'll age them up. I'll jump forward in time two years. So they're 15 and 16. And I thought, I just want something dramatic and cool. So I thought it's going to start with Friday, who is a girl detective who spent years solving other people's problems. She walks out of prison. So, so immediately the reader's like, what was she doing in prison? She's a detective. She's not supposed to go to prison. And she walks out and she declares, I am never solving another case again. And she's like all miserable and gloomy, the way teenagers are. <laughs> I thought, oh, yeah, that'll get them all excited. But then, of course, ring, ring, Uncle Bernie rings up from Italy, which is where Ian is. And um, she ends up going off to Italy and it's all exciting and it's set in Florence and she just can't resist solving small mysteries and bigger ones and then this great big one involving the art of the Uffizi. Oh my god that is so exciting. I mean the book, I has, the book has it all like detective work, a romantic nemesis set in Italy. I mean and has- lots of gelato, lots of gelato related crime. It's got everything. <laughs> I mean it's everything. I really like though how it's resonated so strongly with young readers. Why do you think that is? I think it's the detective thing. It's just so addictive. I mean, when I started, that was what I was going for, something that kids couldn't put down. And then I'd put the cliffhangers in so they'd get to the end and they just look like tearing their hair out. They want to know what happens next. So I think there's that. And then the character, kids just really like that character of the smart girl. Like it, um, when I was started writing them, I had this idea because everyone was trying to write like treehouse books and trying to write for that demographic and write in a similar sort of style for reluctant readers. And I thought, stuff that stuff the reluctant readers because you know who buys the most books the enthusiastic readers <laughs> I'm gonna write a book for them so you write a book about a dowdy girl who's like a bit plain and everyone ignores her and she loves reading books and she knows everything and there's this ocean of girls in the community who are just like that and they're like that's me that's how I secretly am and um so it was a big hit I love that. And I just love your excitement about it too. And it's just so smart. And I just wish that, you know, I enjoyed the book now, obviously, but I wish that when I was 13, 14, 15, there was this book for me too, those enthusiastic readers. I know it's great. It's really nice too, because so I wrote Pesky Kids for two and a half years and I wrote Friday Barnes for four years. So you go back like six and a half years when the first one came out, they were 11, my readers, and now they're like 17. And wow. they own money because they work at McDonald's or maybe in a bookshop <laughs> and they can go and buy a copy. And it's so fantastic. I can get all these emails. It's like, I haven't read any of your books for years or, or better yet, I've reread all your books because this new one's coming out from these 17 year olds who should be studying for the HSC and they're reading my book. <laughs> I love that. And do you think being, you know, a strong female character who is a bit overlooked, you know, really important role model, do you think? Oh yeah. I mean, I try, I try not to think so much in gender terms. I just, I like, I always think of her, like I always think of characters in terms of the way they think. And Mm -hmm. I think of her as a scientist who thinks scientifically. And I guess that is a great role model. I mean, I went to school at James Roos, uh, which if you know about it, it's like, they call it the genius factory. I like the nerd factory. (laughs) There were just lots of girls I went to school with who were like that, who just didn't care about all these other things. They were focused in on their area of interest 
and everything else was frivolous to them. So um, that was drawn from that experience. I had no idea I was talking to a genius. I'm so now, now I'm so intimidated. <laughs> oh, just so you know, when I went to James Joyce and I did the HSC, um, English was my lowest mark and I was so bad at it. Back, I was like the last year where you could drop your English units entirely. Oh, if wow. They marks. So English did not count towards my T. <laughs> <laughs> We've been a lot lower than it had because I just I couldn't write essays at all because I would like this conversation. I would digress <laughs> into these just weird tangents. And they're like, we just asked about Dickens and what you thought the meaning of this book was. We didn't want you to just go off on this. Anyway. Oh, that's a wonderful story. It really is. <laughs> And it is a detective book, as we've mentioned. Who were your detective inspirations when you were growing up? Oh, I love Trixie Belden because I love a book. Like even when I read it in the 80s, it was wildly sexist and out of date because <laughs> it was all about dating, Jim, and you've got to do what the boys say. You know, you've got to listen to the boys. And, and oh, and um, I used to love it. I'd read it and I'd get really angry and I'd throw the book. And the Famous Five as well, very similar. Mm. I love those. And um, Agatha Christie, I, I used to like listening to the audio books from the library and Sherlock Holmes. Like Sherlock Holmes, people think they don't really realise that they're really suitable for children. The language is a bit dense. But in terms of the stories and everything, and they're all short, they're great for kids. I mean, and if you struggle the language, you can listen to the audiobooks. Mm, oh, I really like that. I like that. And I like those influences. And when you are throwing books against walls, that is the mark of a very good book that's really got you in the feels, isn't it? Yeah, you get all passionate and you just hate <laughs> the characters. <laughs> Famous Why was the best for that to me. The boys are just so sanctimonious. <laughs> I love that. So are you saying that this is the final and last Friday Barnes book or are we, are we never going to say never? No, no, no. I'm, I've, I've got to start writing the next one in a couple oh, of Oh, how amazing. So writing, instead of writing one every six months, I'm going to go to writing one every year. Okay. And I'm, so probably two more. And I'm not going to say there'll never be another one. <laughs> That's my plan. Writing the ninth one, I did. it did come back to me why I stopped, which is it's very hard to come up with new crimes mm -hmm. because when you write for children you can't have violent crimes or yeah. violence you can't demonstrate anything that they could emulate that would be inappropriate so so you're, you're really limited and there's a limit to how many times you can write about stolen homework and society. <laughs> so, um, I was mindful of that but I think in aging them up and physically moving it to Europe like mm. the, next, the next book is probably going to take place in Norway oh that's so, my next question yeah so that, that's the plan Norway. Have you been to Norway? No, I haven't. And I would go yeah, if I could, COVID. But to research the book because I did go to Italy just before I wrote this one. And I think it really, really, really helped with the atmosphere mm -hmm. and it gave me some really cool, like all the stuff with the gelato and stuff. I did a gelato tour in Florence. Oh, wow. And the woman who took it, the guide, was fantastic. She just said the most outrageous un-PC things. <laughs> I mean, this this mainly adults listening to this, isn't it? So I can yes. say she said we're in the main square of Florence, and she's like, and this is the the building, and up on the top is the is the weather vane, and she said when it points that way, it means the wind is coming from Siena, and only storms and prostitutes come from <laughs> Siena. <laughs> and I've got my like nine year old and twelve year old there, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> Uh, a book blogger and one of the Words and Nerds listeners, Ashley Meekle, she's such a massive fan of Friday Barnes and she commented on my post when I said I was talking to you and she said, A, can you tell us anything about the next book, which you did, you told us it's going to be set in Norway. I'm wondering if you can tell us anything else. But an interesting question she asked me to ask you was 
who would Friday's favorite author be or what would her favorite book be? Oh, gosh. Well, in the ninth one, she's uh, doing a, a translation of the Iliad into rap. Because <laughs> like me and the girls were watching Hamilton at the time. I mean, she loves scientific books. But but I, I did have the detail in one of the books that her mother secretly likes romance novels. I think she just loves all literature. I, I mean, it's influenced at the moment because I've been sort of deep diving in. When I went to Italy, I got into Roman history. And that made me curious about ancient Greek history because I never studied it. So that's sort of what I'm getting into at the moment. And I'm really into Shakespeare at the moment. So I'm, she sort of tends to follow me in my trend. So <laughs> if, if when I write the book, the next book, if she starts talking about Shakespeare a whole lot, that'll just because that's what I'm reading. At the oh, moment. I love that. And what got you into starting to read Shakespeare? Oh, I had this idea for a book. I actually have written it about uh, Hamlet. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do a book about a girl who basically is drawn into Hamlet and, um, I just, yeah, I had a lot, so I've written it, but it's, it's too much Hamlet in it. <laughs> I've got to sort of go back and rework the idea and make it work. So hopefully I can do that. Wow. So are you enjoying Hamlet or did you enjoy it? Oh, I love it. I've, I've read yeah. it, read it so many times. I, I really, what I'm a big uh, nerd for is I love getting like audio book versions or audio, audio plays from Audible and listening to like six different versions with different mm. actors. So mm -hmm. you can get the John Gielgud version, but I love the Martin Sheen version done by the BBC. And then I'll read along with the play because, you know, the language is, you know, a lot of it's, like, you know, it's, it's gone from our current vocabulary. So it really, when you get a great actor sort of reading, whispering it to you in your ear, it, it brings it all to life. It absolutely does. Yeah, absolutely. I love doing that with the, the Shakespeare adaptions, watching them on the films and seeing, yes. you know, the different types of actors or how they're, you know, um, how they're saying the dialogue and whenever they're, they're saying it on the page, you know, it's not as clear as when you're watching it. You, you can understand everything when you see the film. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fantastic. And, and also you, if you see different adaptations, you get different meaning. Like I got yeah. a, like a manga kind of graphic novel of Hamlet. Mm -hmm. and it, it blew my mind because whenever you see Hamlet, like Hamlet's a student, so he should be like 22, 23, but the actors playing him are always old because it's such yeah. a hard part to play. But in the graphic novel, he looks like he's 22. And all of a sudden <laughs> you think, oh, now that makes so much more sense for the character and why he's just like, he's just like, like an art student who's just has all these crazy ideas. And you think, I knew people like that. <laughs> now it all makes sense. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. He's like the brooding emo, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you think, you know, another five years you'll wake up to yourself and get a proper job and you'll be okay. But at the moment, you're just really annoying. Mm, didn't end well, though, for him. Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, I may may have changed that in my version. Oh, good. I'm so glad because I always thought Ophelia, she needed to have a bit of a better role too. I'm always a bit disappointed by Ophelia. But oh, not, not the character, the way she was written. Yeah, well, she changes a lot the way she's written in the play. Um, and, yeah, you think Shakespeare obviously had a lot of issues with women he was working out at the time. <laughs> Have you ever seen the Listies Prince of Skidmarks? Yes. Like, yes. With the Ophelia saved by a nun and a dinosaur. It's so good where they, they make her like a ninja who trains and yeah, it's so good. Yeah, brilliant. And I, I really hope it comes back because I didn't get a chance to take my own kids and I feel like that's how I want to introduce them to Shakespeare. Yeah, because they put a lot of the real play in there. Yeah. And and I think, you know, when you, when you think Shakespeare or generally speaking, you think, oh, it's hard and it's boring, but really it's funny and it's rude and it's sexy and it's murderous and there's heaps and of cool things in it yeah and just like his use of language the way he just perfectly encapsulates things it's just fantastic uh they had the the live uh theater from london 
on oh, online you could watch yeah. and there's this brilliant version of Midsummer Night's Dream from the Bridge Theatre and it's got Brie from um, Game of Thrones plays the Queen oh wow and they do all this like acrobatic stuff over the stage but sometimes you can see it in cinemas or some but if you can see it anywhere with your kids like my daughter she was nine then she's seen it twice she saw it at the cinema and saw it on big tv at home and she loves it Oh, that's a great tip. I might do that. So I, I'm very mindful of introducing Shakespeare in a fun way, not in a boring let's sit and read the play from the book <laughs> sort of way. I accidentally took my older daughter to see Richard II thinking it was Richard III and it's all like a really <laughs> boring play about tax policy. Oh, my goodness. And she's like, oh, mum, oh, mum. <laughs> I'm never seeing Shakespeare again. <laughs> no, no, no. I told her it was educational. It was good for her. Like, get a vaccine. It's, it's good. It's good for you. That's right. Now, but it's good for you in the long run. Deal with the pain and it's good for you. That's very funny. Weird things like that. (laughs) Now, you just, you write lots of series and I love this. And I want to ask, what is the good thing about writing a series? Is it because you've already got your character set and then you just have to put them in different situations? Or does that become more of a challenge like we sort of touched on when we talked about Friday Barnes? Well, it's, it's all about money. It's all about making money and paying the rent and, you know, feeding your family because the way it works is if you write a book and uh, you get it all, you know, you get the mach- you, like you get the car started, you, you want to keep going. Like the, the publisher, they do all the publicity and the marketing for you. They don't want it to just all start up and make a big fuss and then it stops. They want to get it going and then drive it down the road. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason you write series. It's just like a law of economics. Is It's such a small market in Australia. You're not going to get a big hit book that will make you half a million dollars. You're going to have to like work it. So if you come up with a concept, you want to be able to just like milk it and you know get some books out and that's the way you can get volume of sales so um and it's it's not an issue for me like I've got I trained as a television writer so for me it's very similar to writing I used to write a lot of animation and I always think I never wrote for a sitcom but I always think of it as writing for a sitcom where you have your characters and you have a location and then you have problems that happen within that location continuously using the same set of characters but perhaps having one or two characters visit Mm, interesting and having written so many books has your writing process changed much from when you started Yes, every single book I've had a slightly different process. Wow. I'm a little more organised in terms of outlining. And uh, Nanny Piggins were short stories, so I didn't have to uh, plot as much. And obviously Friday Barnes being, um, being mysteries, you have to be careful with your plotting because you need to like backwards plot so that all the clues are laid out and they work. And the more you know about what happens later, the cleverer you can be in the way you sew it all through. And it's really neat and nice and you can foreshadow things. And people say, I never saw that coming. I'll say, ah, yes, but in chapter two, she tripped over the tile on the floor and that was a key point. And so you can do all that really fun stuff, but only if you plot it really thoroughly. So that's changed. And just um, my my personal circumstances have changed and that's changed my like my kids I had very like I got my book deal when my my older daughter was one day old I was in the maternity wow. book deal. so as you can imagine working with having very small children to now when they're older and they're at school all day has really changed like the way I work because you know how it is when you have a baby mm. and you have like baby brain mm. imagine trying to have a novel in your head at the same time wow like, you have to, you have to um, be very organized with like I have notes everywhere it's very impressive, by the way. One day old. 
With baby brain, very impressive. <laughs> and it was a deal. It was a two book deal, and I had three months to write the next book. And it was wow. A book. So the first chapter of Nanny Piggins Two is all about how awful babies are. <laughs> Nanny Piggins tries to sit on the baby because she thinks that's what babysitting is, and she tries to shove chocolate cake in its mouth to cheer it up. So you were just writing about your own life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, directly. <laughs> that's what I do in all my books. They're all autobiographical. Oh, now I'm going to have to reread them with a different lens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, during the global economic crisis, all these just nanny in nanny piggins. There's all these references to hedge fund people and how nanny piggins is angry because they've got nothing to do with trimming hedges, and that's just because the global economic crisis was going on. And my brother worked in a hedge fund, and that just made me giggle. The idea of hedge funds and hedges. Mm, well, that is funny. Now I'm going to read them very differently. I love that. Mm. Now I wanted to ask you. You are also not only a writer, but you are a podcaster. Tell me about Bedtime Stories with R.A. Spratt. Well, that came about when I was in Italy. <laughs> I was I, I like to give myself a good hard talking to about once or twice a year about okay. what are you doing? Where are you going with your life? And I've always wanted to do an audio book and my publisher has never let me do one. <laughs> <laughs> so you just did your own. <laughs> so I just thought, Stuff this. I thought I do. I have to do so many things as an author that I never imagined I'd have to do, and that I'm not very good at, and that other authors are a lot better at, like <laughs> meeting people <laughs> and not making them uncomfortable. I'm not good at that. <laughs> so I thought, and I just don't. You know, I see other people like going ahead in leaps and bounds in their career, and I think all these people I get dragged. Well, I go around bookshops trying to meet booksellers and impress them. And I think I'm not doing myself any favors. And I thought, and, and it's so physically painful to me as well. I go back to the hotel and I'm like, oh, what did you say that for? What did you say that for? And I thought, what do I want to do? Like, regardless of money, what do I want to do? What do I like doing? And I thought, I like telling stories. And so I thought, and I'd, I'd been listening to um, Mike Duncan's uh, a podcast about um, ancient Rome. And he, in the, 100th episode explained the nuts and bolts of how to do a podcast and I started to think you know I could do that like I know how to use GarageBand and that doesn't sound hard and all the software is so easy so I thought I'll just tell a story once a week how hard is that and then so I started and I launched at the end of February and like one week later COVID hit mm. and all of a sudden a lot of people had their kids home and they wanted they wanted them to be listening to a silly story and it just took off so it's been really good and it's been good for me to have Nanny Piggins voice back in my head because she's in every second or third episode and it's just been really good to be doing something positive for the universe this year. Oh, I love it. And I love that idea of a podcast of reading your story. I think that's really special. Well, it was great too, because I started doing these stories after a few months in, you know, because I had like a backlog of stories that I, were like chapters taken out of books. And I thought, well, I'd, so I did all them first. And then we were, you know, the kids were home from school. It's not really lockdown the way Mel Melbourne's in lockdown now, mm. but it was sort of our version of lockdown. And me and my younger daughter, we'd go for walks with a dog and we'd just have the strangest conversation. She thinks like me. So we would just say, we'd just <laughs> go up on these digressions. And I came home one day and just wrote it out as a story. And I was like, you know, are people going to enjoy this? It's just like a conversation with me and my daughter. And um, it's really funny. Those stories have become really popular <laughs> with people. Wow. They're called Tammy and Mum. And they're just these strange conversations I have with her during this year with the, with the um, all the strangeness going on. So that's been really special to me. And they're so simple and easy to write. They're always the quickest where they take like half an hour to write and half an hour to record. And they're these great stories that are a direct illustration of the way my mind works. Wow. I love this. I love how I'm learning so much about you just from this one conversation. And, you know, you say that you don't talk to people. Well, I think you're an absolute delight to talk to. 
Oh, I know, I know. But you see, one, I'm trying. And two, <laughs> we're beautifully separated by a vast amount of geography. <laughs> and um, I, I don't really have to make eye contact too much. And, and, you know, I know I can run away at a moment's notice. <laughs> Just press end meeting and blame the Wi-Fi. Yeah, it's like, oh, shh, sh- it's all. <laughs> Just message me and go, oh, I'm sorry, Wi-Fi cut out. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Well, it's okay. I've got one more question for you, but I, I don't think it's an easy one. Are oh, you ready? God. Yeah. Why do you write? <laughs> well, to pay the bills. I always say that, like people say, what inspires you as a writer? It's like my overwhelming urge to pay the mortgage. <laughs> well, that's I actually, important. I, yeah. Um, well, the thing is at this stage of my career, I can't really do anything else. I mean, there have been times when I've thought of getting out because I've been doing it for 23 years now from when I started as a TV writer and then I, I did that for ages and then now I've been an author for 12 years and there have been times when I thought about getting out and getting a regular job. But um, I'm just too far gone now. I, I, a few years ago, I was nominated for an Arbia Award and uh, the publisher took me down to Sydney and they put me up in this really nice hotel on Hyde Park. And, um, I w- and the following morning, of course, I did not win the Arbia Award. <laughs> I was sitting there and they had this huge window that went from the floor to the ceiling. And I was sitting eating my breakfast with my toes up against the window, just with my forehead on the window, watching people go to work. And it was right by the war memorial there. And there was like the crisscross of people going to work at like 8.30 in the morning. And I was looking out the window and I think I could not imagine living like that, having to be up this early and dressed and have makeup on and <laughs> shoes. And I thought, oh my goodness, because I had, I did, you know, eons ago have a job like that. And I just think I just couldn't go back now. I'm too far gone. Like you make so little money doing this. <laughs> it's it's crushing and it's hard, but I can't imagine going back to that. I, I mean, I obviously you would have to, if you would have to, but it's just, it just, it's, yeah, it just seems like an unimaginable life to me now having mm. been in this crazy profession for 23 years. And who wants to wear makeup and shoes? I know, and to walk quickly and be up that early. When I think no makeup and no shoes is the perfect life. I think a lot of people have discovered that this year. Yes, 2020 has been the discovery of, let's see, let's take that a bit further and say no makeup, no shoes and no bras. Can we say that? Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a D. I, okay. I, I don't want to go there. <laughs> but that would frighten the dog. Not for all of us. <laughs> That's actually funny because everyone's been at home this year and people are all talking about wearing track pants and pajamas. And I think I've worked at home for like 20 years. You've got to put on pants. You do. You've got to. You do. Your Look, own I, mental health. And I agree. I tried one day. I wasn't, I was feeling a bit under the weather. I thought I'm just going to wear my, my, you know, pajama pants to work in my office. And it just, I wasn't vibing it. It just didn't feel good because I find that when I finish for the day and have a shower and, then I, I put on my pajamas. It's a special time of putting on your pajamas, you know, because you're like, I'm relaxed. This is my own time. And I, I feel like I missed out on that by wearing my pajamas during the day. So I never did it again. You're messing with your body clock, don't you? You are. Yeah. yeah. I messed with mine. Look, no judgment to those who wear pajama pants. Good for you. I'm jealous. I'm envious that you can do that, but it wasn't for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a long term good decision. <laughs> Unless you've got day pajama pants and night pajama pants. Maybe yeah, that's that the would secret. be okay. That would be okay. They're, yeah. Then they're called apartment pants. <laughs> maybe I was just doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Give them a special name. <laughs> All right. Maybe I'll try it again tomorrow. I'll let you know how I go. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Have you written a book? I haven't written a book. However, um, 
I did NaNoWriMo with um, Adrian Beck and Tristan Banks and Julianne Negri where, um, you know, I'd always wanted to write a book but I never felt good enough to write a book and so I abandoned everything. If I can write one, anyone can write one (laughs) because no one has worse spelling and grammar than me. That's very comforting. Thank you. Um, So they kind of pushed me along. Well, they're very (laughs) successful, talented authors and I was the only unpublished one so I thought I have to actually write the words the least I can do is write the words right yeah and so I ended up um finishing something which I'm currently working on I don't know if it'll ever get anywhere but yeah I'm really proud that I've sort of finished something yeah well that's the hardest part like people come to me all the time say oh what do I need to do to write a book it's like well you sit down at least twice a week (laughs) and you write at the end of about six months you'll have a book and they're like it's not that simple it's like it really is and also (laughs) be prepared for it to suck yeah Mm. my first Mm -hmm. two books didn't get published and you know if you yeah that's you know so nanny pingers was my third book like so you wrote a book and it sucks that's just practice for the next book which may or may not suck yeah, that's right. And I'm, I, I went through this um, little journey the other day. It was a Saturday and I had all the time to work on it. And in the morning I was reading it and I thought, hey, this doesn't suck. By lunchtime, I thought this is the worst thing I'd ever read. And by dinner time, I'd given up. I've since gone back into it. But it's just a kind of journey. I feel like, you know, that's being a real writer going on that real journey. Oh, I always, <laughs> like when I start writing a book, I have a great time for two days. Yeah. And then I'm miserable for mm. like three months and then I finish and I send it to my publisher and she knows what she has to say she has to ring me and I say is it or isn't it and what she knows what the question is it is is it a steaming pile of poo or isn't it (laughs) and she's always like it's okay Rachel it's not a steaming pile of poo well that's great feedback yeah yeah that's that's my concern (laughs) and then I'll come back in the edit and I'll look at it it's like not only is it not a steaming pile of poo (laughs) it's a staggering work of genius Because like six months later, I'll completely win myself over because I will have forgotten what I wrote. It's like, whoever wrote, this is great. That's great. I love that. Maybe that will happen to me. Look, I don't know what's going to happen. How can we ever? But I'm just going to keep writing it and then I'm going to send it out to the world. And you know what? I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to start writing something else. Enjoy the journey. That's what you can do. If you enjoy the journey, it doesn't matter what the destination is. That's right. So thank you for asking me. Um, We'll see if we ever have this conversation again. And I'll be like, no, don't want to talk about that. Or, hey, look, it became something. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. You tried though. <laughs> That's it. Look, the goal was just to finish something. So tick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like me and my Hamlet book. I did it. May never get published, but I did it. Tick. Well, I'd be interested in reading it. I love a good Shakespeare appropriation. So if no one publishes it, send it this way. I'll read it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. It has been such a delight. I feel like this is one of the conversations where we could probably talk all night. <laughs> Yeah, it's eventually my children would want me to put them to bed. You know, they would fall asleep eventually. Eventually. (laughs) And look, that has happened to me in the past when my children have fallen asleep on the floor of my studio. So that is a, you know, quality parent mode, parenting mode. You know you're doing it right. Yeah, that's it. And I only hear one side of the conversation because I've got headphones on, so I don't know what they're thinking. (laughs) Look, thank you so much. You have been an absolute delight to speak to. Your books are an absolute joy. We love Friday Barnes and I've loved this conversation. So thank you so much. No worries. Speak to you again sometime. 